sure I get this quote in every year for Iron Leadership, and um, it's on your sheet of paper. And so it's called the man in the arena. Uh, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. No, the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And so I love that quote because you've got to be in a place where you get in the arena. That's really where leadership is. And it's very easy to be around the arena. It's very easy to criticize the leadership in the arena. It's very easy to look at it and say, well, if you had been in the arena, you would have done differently. But none of that is leadership. That's just observation. We're talking about getting in the arena and actually making something happen. And the biggest place that happens is just even in your own life and your own family. So that's why this is helpful to everybody even if you don't say perceive yourself as the leader in your church or in your community or in your job, you're leading yourself, you're leading your family. And so my encouragement, my, my, my plea for you is to be somebody who's in the arena. Even if you fail and you go down and again and again and you, you, you learn, that's how you, you learn. It's not just downloading information, it's doing something and saying, hey, that didn't work with my wife last night, I got to try something else. That didn't work with the people that I work with. That didn't work for me. Whatever that is, I just really want you to be people who get engaged. So one of the hardest parts about being a leader is just discouragement. And people get really easily discouraged, and, and, dis, and discouragement easily derails a leader. And you've had that. You've, had that on, you're, you're on, you've been discouraged about yourself and it feels derailing. You've been discouraged where you've been, you were supposed to be the leader in some place and you failed. That's discouraging. And that it, it, what it does is it tends to make you want to go out of the arena and just say, I, I'm not the person. And maybe there's some places that somebody else does need to come in. But largely, you need to get back up and keep moving forward. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing. And I always try to get this clip in on Iron Leadership once a year, this Pursuit of Happiness clip, which Matt's going to play for us. And I think this is such a help, so, so many helpful little key phrases here. So let's watch this piece. <laughs> I'm going pro. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, you'll probably be about as good as I was. That's kind of the way it works, you know. And I, I, I was below average. You know, so whoa. So you'll probably ultimately rank somewhere around there, you know. So. Really, you'll excel at a lot of things, just not this. I don't want you out here shooting this ball around all day and night, all right? All right. Okay? All right, go ahead.
Hey. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right? All right. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. want something, go get it, period. Let's go. First of all, everybody here has a dad. And that dad had a chance to really give you courage or derail you. And if you're a dad, you have that chance now even if your kids are out of your house, to be a derailer or to be an encourager. So those messages, those few words can shape a whole life. How many saw the movie? This isn't part of Iron Leadership. This is bonus material. Inception. See that movie where the guy was in the dreams? Remember that? And they were trying to change this guy's mind. Remember that? And they were just trying to plant one memory in his mind. And what was the memory? That his dad really liked him. So this whole movie where they were trying to change this one guy's action by just one little moment in a dream where he found out that his dad liked him. So some of us are operating from not having a dad or having a dad we're still trying to live up to or we don't think is ever really happy with us. Even if your dad's dead, you can be living, trying to live up to that. So this is such a powerful moment and it happens in a lot of ways in leadership. Don't ever let anyone tell you he can't do something. I mean, how many times could Nehemiah have just gotten derailed saying, I'm not the guy. I mean, I can't possibly do this. I've I'm no engineer. I'm a cupbearer to the king, and I'm 800 miles away from my home. And he had every reason to say he can't do something. When when people can't do something, instead of encouraging you, what do they do? They tell you you can't do it. This happens all the time. Oh, that's impossible. Why? Because it's impossible for me, but it might not be impossible for you. So those are messages we get. And if you want something, if you have a God if you have a divine vision, you've got to go for it. You've got to fight through difficult times. You've got, to, you've got to move through, and we'll see how Nehemiah does that this morning. So first of all, Nehemiah in chapter 4, he experiences two waves of discouragement. So let's look at each one of those in turn. One of them, the first wave, remember he's building this wall. He's got his team. Let's just go review. Nehemiah has heard about Jerusalem's trouble. He's come back to build the wall around Jerusalem. That's his one task. So the people of the city can, can, can thrive and the enemies don't overrun it. And so he's gone back. He's got his team. We talked about that two weeks ago, chapter 3. Now, when, the, when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry. Now, this guy is the probably the governor of the next province over in Samaria. So if somebody else moves in 
to, to the next county over who's going to be powerful. He's got a lot to lose. Power is on the line for this guy. And he doesn't want some new power to come in. And he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Verse 1, chapter 4. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? You hear, you hear all that discouragement? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Tobiah, this is his sidekick, who's an Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, yes, what they're building, even a fox, if he goes up on the wall, he'll break it down. So that's the first wave of discouragement. Now here's how Nehemiah responds. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we continue to build the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So first, first wave of discouragement comes with verbal discouragement. Second wave comes with physical threat, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Notice these verbal discouragements. First, there's ridicule, these feeble Jews, this character assassination. That's, that's the low-hanging fruit on discouragement, right? You're a loser. That, that's just the easiest first-step derailer. And that derails lots of people. Just, hey, you're a loser. You're never going to do anything. And you just say, maybe I'm a loser. I'm not going to do anything. Just move on. And a lot of times, it's just the right person who says it. So any old person says it off the street, I mean, it's not a big deal. But a dad says it, then that's a derailer. And that can, that can happen, I want you to know, it can happen inside the church. When we started Christ Community Church, we just had sort of a leadership team. We didn't have elders at this point. And I was just one of the people on the leadership team. I wasn't the pastor at this point. And we were just trying to make decisions. And it, it, as soon as you get three or four or five guys together, so there's a little, you know this, who, who's in charge moment, right? It, it, this happens to every group. It, could, it doesn't have to be five guys, it be five women or whoever. Just who's going to be in charge? And so we're all just trying to do this sort of uh, dance and, and over the time, I became the person who was going to become the pastor. And because of that, my voice got bigger because I was the person always standing up front. And that threatened one of the guys in the, on the team. He didn't like that my voice was getting bigger. And so we were making a decision to go a certain way, and this guy didn't want to go that way. And in a meeting of our team, he called me Saddam Hussein, a fascist and a dictator. So you're thinking, who needs enemies when you have friends like this? You know, Lord, save us from our friends. Uh, so here I am. See, this, this, is, this, is a, this is the leadership moment. I can't say, hey, I know Kung Fu. I got to do something, right? This is the moment where you have to decide, hey, am I going to get totally derailed 
which easily could have happened. I mean, you can imagine how discouraging that is when I go home. How, how late I stayed up that night thinking, maybe I am. I mean, I don't feel like I am, but he felt like I was. And it can just be just the right person who, honestly, he didn't really mean it. It's just, you, you said, have you not said things you wish you hadn't said? So I understood, hey, I've said some things I wish I hadn't said. So I gave this guy, I tried to give this guy grace. Uh, I mean, it was still a very difficult conversation. But it, it's so easy for just one person to come in with one sentence and totally derail you. And a lot of times it's just that, it's just, it's really low-hanging fruit. It's just calling your names and then you get derailed. So we want to be careful not to do it, but also not to, be get, not get, not to get derailed by it. All right, second thing, when you, when you think about this, um, uh, what's happening here, uh, the, the, some of the leadership challenges, first of all, when you get this criticism, it provides you an opportunity to measure your own emotional maturity. So when you have this tense moment, when you have this discouraging moment, it does shine a light back on how, how do you do in that moment, right? Without trying to to look at the other person. First of all, it's really a test for you. We talk a lot about EQ and IQ, so your emotional intelligence and then your raw mental intelligence. And most people get derailed because of low EQ. They just emotionally aren't very strong. So when that guy said that to me in that meeting, I immediately just started writing things down. And the reason I wrote things down is one, I wanted to remember what was said. And number two, it caused me not to say anything. Because what's the easiest thing to want to say back? Well, you think you're so, you're, well, you're Adolf Hitler. I mean, you know, right? I mean, I could, I could think of a hundred things, right? And that, that's so, so easy, so easy to just jump back in and say something critical yourself. And now you're fighting over, you know, a personality thing. So it really is a moment to say, hey, am I growing as a leader? Now, the way you get many opportunities for this is if you're married, and especially if you have teenagers, right? Or you coach teenagers, or you're a teacher of teenagers. You get this moment every single day to try to figure out, can I, can I grow in my emotional capacity as a leader so that I'm not doing back Right? Your four-year-old calls you a name. If you call your four-year-old a name, who are you? You're a four-year-old, right? You've just lowered yourself down to that, that level. So you don't want to do that. You probably wouldn't do it with a four-year-old, but a 16-year-old, no. yeah, you might. So, yeah, so you got to be very careful of that moment. And there's a, there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and in it, a quote says this, I've been a Christian 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I'm a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just keep doing the same things over and over again. So we don't want to be that way as leaders. You get, the, you get these moments, you got to grow. Even, even if you fall down, you got to get back up and not do the same thing again. And, and, and I get afraid sometimes or concerned sometimes that you're 22 years down the road in your Christianity and your leadership, but you're really just one year old because you never actually learned, hey, I don't need to say anything in this moment. 
or I do need to say something at this moment, or I do need to go through this moment. Whatever it is, you got to learn that along the way. And so let's make sure we're growing. Second thing, just notice that the first thing he did was pray. Verse 4, hear, O Lord. That's, that's Nehemiah. If you, if you don't learn anything else about Nehemiah, he always prays. He's always praying. That's always his first go-to. Remember, I heard about the destruction in Israel. What did I do? I prayed. I, I, the king said, what's wrong with you? What did I do? I offered a quick prayer. Every time he's praying, that's such a key thing. And this little prayer, even if it's just like a breath, you don't have an hour to go pray about a situation. You just have, you just have one little moment before you have to speak. You could just pray something like, whatever I do, I do it for the glory of God. That You could just have that little moment like, okay, God, I'm going to say something. I have to say something now. Whatever I say, I want to do it for your glory. Just that little moment, that little prayer gives you some space. We talked about this a long time ago or some time ago about baseball players. When you hit a pop fly to the outfield, remember this? They try to train you to take a step back first. Because you can run forward a lot faster than you can run backwards. So that you see it, and you don't know exactly where it's going when it comes off the bat. So you take a step back. You, it's a little moment of a pause to say, is it going over my head or do I need to run to it? And then I make my move. And that's what Nehemiah does. The very first thing he does when he gets to criticism, he's going to step back. He says, okay, Lord. And I love his prayer. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. I mean, he doesn't have a gift of mercy here in this prayer. But I just love, it's just raw. Hey, Lord, these people are against you. They're against us. And just, you know, you take care of them. That's okay. But he's not, he's not saying that to, to them. He's just going to move forward. Verse 6. And we just move forward. We started working on the wall. He's not taking time at this point to really address these people. He's moving forward in his project. And so he's saying, we, verse 6, so we built the wall. Everybody hears the, the name calling. Nehemiah prays. He doesn't even address them, right? He just prays, and he goes back to work. That's a lot of times what you need to do as a leader. Just, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm going to keep moving forward. Sometimes you've got to stop and do something, but there are times where you just say, I'm just going to keep working. I'm not going to let that derail me. I'm going to keep shooting basket. I'm, I'm going to keep moving forward, and just, I'm just going to tune out this noise. And think about how powerful it was for these people, for, for them to see Nehemiah just to, to, to continue to work. Very powerful leadership moment. They're all like, are we going to get derailed here? And the leader steps in and says, hey, guys, let's get the next stone. Let's keep moving. There's a quote, the speed of a leader, speed of a team. Speed of a leader, speed of the team. Courage of a leader, courage of a team. Faith of the leader, faith of the team. Your courage drives the courage of your family, your son. Your speed at work drives the speed of everybody else at work if you're the leader. Your faith drives the faith of everybody else. My faith helps encourage the faith of everyone who comes to Christ Community Church. So I just want you to know, if you're in a leadership position, 
Your action is crucial and critical to everybody else. They're watching what you do much more than what you say. And he doesn't even need to say anything. He just gets back to work. Everybody gets back to work. The wall goes up halfway high. Now, you want to say, and, and they had a joyful time, right? But verse 7, second wave of discouragement. And in case you haven't figured this out, this is the leadership role is to just take wave and wave after discouragement, right? You just got to keep standing there. There are some peaceful times when the tide's going out and you go, okay, nothing's hitting me, but pretty soon there's going to be another wave. There's, that's what the leader does. He's always standing against those waves. And Nehemiah comes in here, verse 7. So when these two guys, Sambalat and Tobiah, they heard what was, that the, the work was going forward, chapter 4, verse 7, that the breaches were beginning to close. They got angry. They all plotted together now, not for name-calling, verse 8, but to fight, to cause confusion. Verse 9, we prayed. Again, just you want to circle. If you don't do anything, if you do nothing else as a leader, you pray first. We prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. And then you see in verse 10, 11, 12, their, their, uh, what they had been doing to sow confusion had actually been wor- had, had worked on the people. The strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There's too much rubble. We can't b- rebuild the wall. See, the messages had come in. Uh, we're going to be killed if we, if we keep working. Um, so Nehemiah verse 13 so in the lowest parts of the space of the wall in open places I stationed people by their families with swords and spears and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest don't be afraid of them remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes this is kind of the brave heart moment for for Nehemiah so they come back in, and now they've got an army behind them. So the verbal threats didn't work, so now we're going to physically impose ourselves in a way that's going to hopefully stop the work. Second wave of discouragement. And Nehemiah says, okay, what we're going to do here, guys, is first of all, we're going to keep working. We're going to pray, and then we're going to post a guard. And I'm going to find a trumpet player, which is in the next few verses. And what's going to happen is one of you, we're we're going to do half the work because one of you is going to have to stand here with a sword. But if guys, if people start coming, then we're going to blow the trumpet and we're going to find, we're all going to rush to this one point in the wall and we're going to fight against the enemy. So second wave here, what do we learn? Uh, First of all, he prays, not a shocker, not a shocker. Secondly, he posted a guard and found a trumpet player. And I love that verse, verse 9. I prayed and posted a guard. I prayed and I did something. See, when you pray, that doesn't negate you taking action. You pray and you make a plan, right? You don't just say pray, you pray, God, you just do everything. No, you pray and then you get engaged and say, God, I'm praying and now I'm making a plan. I'm getting engaged. I'm stationing a guard. I'm, I'm finding a trumpet player. I'm doing all these things to see if, if, if we can continue to go forward. And then finally, he has this moment of inspiration and reminder that the, that the Lord is fighting for us. He's, he's fighting for us. And you're fighting not just, not just for yourself, but your, your family. 
it's Nehemiah's teamwork. He's, your, your, your house is going to be here. Your business is going to be here. Stay in the arena. Keep working on the wall. And don't allow these physical threats and don't allow these verbal threats to derail you. Next, next time we meet in two weeks, we're going to talk about internal strife. So in chapter 5, they start fighting inside. The, the, the Nehemiah's team starts fighting. And that's actually harder to deal with, is it not, than external threat. I mean, I'd much rather the church face an external threat because that can rally everybody than an internal threat because then we're, we're all, it's chaos. So again, you might say third wave, chapter 5. So come back for uh, the third wave. But just this morning, how easily are you derailed by discouragement? Your own failure, does it just derail you? One phrase, one sentence from a dad, from a key leader. Hey, you're, does it derail you? How do, you, how do you keep moving forward in those moments? How do you stay in the arena and not just say, I'm going to be on the sideline? These are all difficult questions to try to figure out for yourself and how what you've learned here this morning might be helpful to you. So we're going to have about 15 minutes. You get in a group of three or four, and let's talk about these questions that Matt will put up for us. Ready? Break.